Welcome, welcome, welcome to Thirst for Knowledge Podcast, episode 37. I'm James Evers. I'm Justin. And I'm Seth Tardiff. And today on the episode, we welcome our good friend, Dennis O'Rourke. Yeah, we are doing a sequel to our second episode ever, 23andMe. And we brought on Dennis to give us a little bit of background on how the science works for 23andMe, as well as um, go over a little bit about uh, different genetic stuff. We go into detail about some updates that 23andMe has had since the last one. Um, Mr. Mayhew over here has actually uh, sent out a sample and gotten his results back, so we know you know how how much of an alien he is and all that all that That's stuff. Right. I did it. Yep. <clears throat> um yeah, we at the end of the episode we get into a little bit of genetic genealogy and uh the Bearbrook murders, Golden State Killer, that kind of stuff. Um pretty pretty cool, fun, interesting episode that we did with Dennis here. Uh I just want to mention that we are not sponsored by 23 and me. Uh we're doing this episode because we are curious about it and we've all done it um yeah so you guys got anything before we get this rolling enjoy Enjoy. this genetic episode all right it's full of jeans blue jeans khakis corduroys (laughs) sweatpants you name them all types of jeans these aren't jeans yeah I mean, they're, there's pants, and pants are jeans. <laughs> all right. Tell me jeans aren't pants. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Enjoy our episode on pants. Joy. Enjoy. <laughs> okay. So you're usually in a lab? Yeah. Like... Full gowned up, fucking ready to go. Yeah, I mean, we're not like, we don't deal with anything that dangerous or infectious. Like, we would never touch COVID 19 stuff, mm. you know, where so, like, in, in my lab, it's just uh, safety glasses and a lab coat is what's like required. And then when you're doing stuff, we wear gloves, but to like be in the lab, you don't even need like gloves or whatever. So, but yeah, mostly hands on in the lab and then damn yeah so it's been a lot different like being home it's just really weird for me so you don't have like a clean room or anything like that or like an uh, area that's we have uh not really no not at our facility anyways we don't have like clean rooms or or whatever we have different rooms with like some slightly different procedures like that might have their own lab coats that are inside the room you just don't move them from there and stuff but nothing clean room we also aren't like manufacturing anything there so we don't need clean rooms for manufacturing or anything it's all like uh more early research that we do so so dennis what let's get this going so what do you do yeah so i work at a biopharmaceutical company in massachusetts um and so we make cancer uh, mostly cancer. You make therapy cancer? Drugs. Yep, we make cancer. No, <laughs> cancer, cancer drugs um, mostly. And my specific role is to 
um, try to develop biomarker tests for these drugs. So basically a biomarker is anything that might give an indication that a patient will respond better to the drug or um, a way to test if they have that disease, um, test if the drug's working, stuff like that. So you can think like one of the most basic biomarkers is like um, if you have um, high blood pressure, it's a biomarker for heart disease, right? They're associated together. So that's kind of a very basic one that, you know, you hear all about and it's a very simple uh, kind of test to see if you have high blood pressure and it's often associated with um, heart disease, right? Um, so we try to look for a biomarker, specifically for me, it's a genetic biomarker. So something that's in your genes that would, um, that you might be able to uh, test for to say that you, you know, have a certain type of cancer or that you'll respond better to a drug or something like that. So if I had, if I was an alcoholic, would the, sh would my shaking hands be a biomarker of being an alcoholic? <laughs> um, I mean, that would probably be a very poor biomarker because there's other reasons you can have shaky hands, right? <laughs> so, um, that's true. I mean, it could be, but it right, would James. be a very bad one. You would What's a biomarker that? for ass cancer? Uh, that I don't know. You know? <laughs> would it be yeah. things like uh, like TNF alpha in your blood? Yeah, so it could be uh, stuff like that. So, is that generalized the, for most cancers, or is that like? Um, there are uh, biomarkers that are more general for cancers, um, but really, when you dig down, like each cancer type probably has biomark like specific biomarkers that would be better. Um, better for that specific cancer rather than a broad uh, ranging one. So, you know, if you listen to a lot, you see all the time on TV, right? Commercials for different drugs now, mostly for breast cancer, um, breast cancer drugs. So yeah. if you listen, they will reel off a bunch of stuff pretty quick. That's like approved for HR positive, HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer. Those are all, criteria that a patient would have to meet to get enrolled with that drug. And basically there needs to be a way to test for that, right? So those are biomarkers. We try to create the tests to identify those biomarkers. So sometimes it's, you know, you have to take a tissue biopsy of the patient and test that way, which isn't very pleasant, I guess, you know, it's a minor, at least a minor surgery, sometimes even worse. Sometimes sure. it's impossible to take, um, a piece of the, the tumor, depending where it is. Um, but lately, um, people are developing these tests, um, based just off of like a blood sample. So you can take a blood sample, basically purify out DNA. That's just naturally circulating in your, um, in your body. And then uh, test for like genetic biomarkers um, that would, yeah. you know, uh, find that um, information out. So that's kind of where it's headed. Um, not quite there yet, but becoming more and more popular. So I saw some stuff about um, like if you had prostate cancer now, 
instead of getting a colonoscopy, they can just kind of like take a stool. You can do almost do like a stool sample at home and test it yourself. And I'll tell yeah. you if you got prostate cancer or maybe. Yeah. So, well, first prostate and colon is different, but, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, but the colon, um, yeah, there's the, the commercial. It goes in my butt. It's all the same. Baby. <laughs> uh, there is that like uh take home, uh, basically you poop in a box thing and then it gets shipped to a lab. And yeah, so I don't know the specifics of that, but you're right. Instead of having a colonoscopy, it, or it can avoid in some cases having to have a colonoscopy. So it's a less invasive way of, you know, testing for some of um, these things. So it must look, it looks for some sort of marker, um, you know, that's associated with colon cancer. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know why you wouldn't want a colonoscopy if you're going to get one. <laughs> oh my God. Of course. So no, man, um, you got 20 years until you're due for one, man. Yeah. I don't know. I said, I, I heard, uh, it's better to get it earlier than later. They said they, they're finding it more in uh, younger people. But we'll see. <laughs> people with diets like yours. Yes, yeah, exactly. Where, where every BM might be the last. <laughs> no, I just go in and go down the street and ask the bum for a colonoscopy. And <laughs> a bum's going to check my bum. <laughs> hey, you yeah, bum, new- check my bum. <laughs> It's a new business plan for you. Bums checking so, bums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why we brought Dennis in today was because um, about a little over a year ago, our second episode of the podcast, we did an episode on 23andMe. And uh, none of us really are experts or, you know, even related to the field, you know, of, of how 23andMe works and the genetic testing and all that. And uh, Dennis is our closest friend who um, knows a little bit about this stuff and also um, sent us a really great email right after we recorded that episode um, telling us a little bit about um, some of the the science as well as um, alerting us to this really cool other podcast um, called uh, Bear Brook, which was doing some genetic genealogy uh well, they didn't do this, but they were reporting on um, these people that were using genetic genealogy to solve murders. Um, and Bear Brook is actually in New Hampshire, really close to where we uh, record the podcast. So that was that was pretty neat. And um, I would definitely suggest checking that podcast out. It's really well done. Uh, so as, for this podcast today, we kind of wanted to have Dennis like talk to us a little bit about the science and how this works a little bit about how they used it um, with Bear Brook and things like the Golden State Killer. I think that was Mm -hmm. another high profile example. And then also go over some of the changes um, that have happened in 23andMe since we first did the podcast. Um, And there's been a couple. Oh, and then guess what, bitches? I got my 23andMe done. Damn. I want to hear it. Yeah. I want to know if you if your pee smells when you eat, uh, eat asparagus. <laughs> it does. Uh, well, we'll yeah, see. almost so, instantly. We'll we'll see based on the genetics. <laughs> yeah. So, um, if you got this far into this podcast and didn't listen to part one, definitely go do that. 
Um, me and James got our 23 and Me's done, and Justin was a little resistant to do it. Um, you know, for whatever reason, you can figure that out by listening to the first episode. And um, now he's actually done it, so we'll go over some of those results as well. Yeah, I'm 24% grilled cheese sandwich, yo. Oh, I'm gonna eat you, baby. <laughs> I'm gonna dip you in tomato sauce. Got any Italians in the house? <laughs> oh boy. Man, now I want yeah. grilled cheese. God damn it. <laughs> I don't think I got any bread though. No, 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 no bread. So I had this, um, before we start, I had this great cheese. Um speaking of grilled cheese, it's called <laughs> Scorpion Pepper Jack. This shit was so good. Is there a market basket? If they still have if they still have market baskets around. I just pick it out. <laughs> yeah, okay, sorry, scorpion Seth. pepper jack. Okay, dude, I just want to say, like, this whole video stream, just seeing James's video stream, <laughs> is just like my face real close. <laughs> just <laughs> classic, like nerd gamer, like trying to be on a dating website. <laughs> hey, I'm uh, James. I'm 29 years old. I'm slightly overweight. Yeah, I guess I we should also... I want to play with you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should also mention that, yes, we are doing our first ever fully remote podcast because of the COVID-19 pandemic that's currently happening. Social so distancing. Properly social distancing. And our next couple podcasts will probably be in this format. If things sound a little weird, I'm going to do my best to make them not. But mm. uh, yes, we shall continue on. So what were you asking, Seth? Right. For, I interrupted you about the cheese. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, you know, cheese is delicious, but um, I was going to, you know, defer to Dennis here to give us a little bit of, you know, the what what he knows of generally how 23andMe works a little bit. Yeah, so my understanding, 23andMe, uh, well, you know, you guys know, you spit in a tube, they take your spit and they'll extract DNA from that. And then they basically have a panel of, I don't know how many uh, SNPs or variants that they test. I think it's around 7,000 or something like that. Um, so they basically sequence, do a targeted sequencing of your DNA for these specific um, SNPs. And then they can associate uh, the data they get from that with some sort of background database they have um, to what these SNPs actually mean. So whether it's that your pee smells when you eat asparagus or if it's that you're 25% French. And I mean, that's a little bit more of the genealogy side, but whether you have red hair or whatever they say that they can predict with the uh, SNPs or variants. So, and I guess um, just so, you know, everyone knows a SNP is um, a term for a single nucleotide polymorphism. And it's basically just a mutation somewhere in your gene that causes um, some sort of change. Um, and if I say variant, it's pretty much the same thing, but a, um, let me make sure I get this right. A, a, a variant just means that it's found in the population, like greater than 1%, I believe. 
Um, so 1% of the population has it at least. Um, so they're pretty much interchangeable for, you know, the purpose of this. And they're just uh, mutations or can be a deletion or something like that in your gene that just changes how that gene is expressed. And that's what causes for, you know, is the cause of the uh, of majority of, you know, the differences you see in people because, you know, human beings are something like 99.5 or 99.95, I forget the actual number, like percent the same by DNA. So it's these uh, snips that really account for the changes that you see or the differences you see in everybody. Um, That's pretty cool. That I didn't, yeah, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Yeah. It's something, well, I, I should have got the actual numbers here of what, it, you know, how many, uh, I don't know. It's something, I think I saw something that there's like 500,000 of these snips that have been recorded. So you can imagine 500,000. There's obviously a whole bunch of different things that can happen at each one of these locations or whatever to make the variation. So while it percentage wise, you're very, very close to everybody, it's still an enormous, you know, number of, um, you know, DNA bases in the genome to allow for the, the differences. And is so, this still, is this still growing? Like as we're sort of delving deeper and deeper into the genetic level, um, are we going to be able to find more uh, SNPs and variants along the, the different? Um, um, I would, I would say so. I'd say they're probably not all, um, discovered so yet, or they might be discovered, but we have no idea what they actually do, what they, um, are associated with. And so, um, I'm sure that we don't, I, I know that we don't know everything. I'm not sure, you know, if everything has been discovered, um, because now it's fairly cheap to sequence the whole genome. Um, more expensive than what like 23andMe does because they're just looking at these uh, short uh, SNP regions. So they don't actually sequence the entire uh, genome. It's just uh, what they're looking for, right? But even if you wanted to sequence the entire genome, it's fairly cheap now. So there's large databases available online um, that are used you know, by companies, by research, whatever. Now, are these only, that. are these only have it relation to do with like genes that are actually been activated or these, are you able to also look into genes that are not activated that are suppressed um, and find uh, polymorphisms and and like variants within genes that are not expressed? Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I think I know what you're saying. And, and yes, I think um, you get the, uh, you're like, able does, it, to... does a gene have to be expressed in order to be able to identify the the, the variants and the polymorphisms? N- to 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 be able to identify them, no. So you would imagine, you know, from your saliva, you're mostly getting gene, you know, DNA, you know, excreted from salivary glands. That's kind of shedding off of like the walls of your mouth or whatever from the cells there. So a gene that's expressed, you know, in the iris of your eye isn't going to be active there, but I'm sure that they give some data on stuff like that, you know? So 
it doesn't matter if it's expressed or not in that um, it's still there. So every cell is going to have the same um, DNA. It's going to have all of the genes, um, whether they're, ex whether they're expressed or not is irrelevant for looking, um, you know, just looking for these SNPs overall. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. This is taking me back to my, the the one or two classes I had on genetics yeah. back in college, mm -hmm. yeah. Every every different cell is going to encompass the whole genome. It's just whatever the function of that cell is right. is going to express very specific uh, types of genes. It's going to activate very specific. It's going to activate certain genes in order to sort of do that particular function. Right. right. So yep. your the the saliva in your mouth and your cheek is going to have the same um genetics and the same things that you would have right that would i don't know help fucking build enzymes into your fucking stomach or something but it wouldn't yep. necessarily be activated exactly yep because that's I, not the function of those cells i have a question mm -hmm. if i was to get a full genome test first of all how much do they cost did you say that um just an average, like an estimate, like ten. Are we talking uh, like ten grand? Are we talking a hundred grand? Are we talking like five hundred no, bucks? I'd say probably around a thousand um, bucks. The and, cost and, really comes into it. Uh, yeah, probably around a thousand. I'd say to keep it. Um, if I was to get one of these full tests done, what kind of stuff will I be seeing besides the twenty three and me stuff? Would they be saying like, oh, you're definitely going to have ass cancer at 30 or like no. you're going to die of alcoholism? No, like, can they predict I, my future? No, no, no. So mostly, I don't know because I don't know if there are services like 23andMe that will sequence your whole genome and then give you information that can be, uh, you know, um, information so, that you can interpret right because basically when you sequence everything it just gives you this long list of what your dna sequence is and you need to have some sort of database for it to match against um and be able to kind of say you know that you have these variants so there might be a service out there but i i don't know of it and it's definitely not going to give you, you know, tell you if you're going to die of alcoholism or ass cancer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I think the info that 23andMe gives is they probably give a good amount. And, you know, you're I not going to get a lot more. I think 23andMe also has a section where you can look at the raw data, but that means nothing to us, right? Right. So unless it's, you're very specialized in that and you also have a database that tells you, okay, this is associated with this. It's kind right, of like how coding works, right? Like right now we're, we're all looking at computers as a part of this and none of us understand, or at least my knowledge, like binary code and like everything that is behind the scenes of what's happening in a computer. But we are seeing like what is being interpreted to it. It's like an interface, like the graphical user interface that we're looking mm -hmm. at. And 23andMe is providing you with that interface based off of the information that they have and making it look neat and putting it in nice charts and putting labels on everything, like saying this sequence is associated with you being 25% Greek or whatever. Right, yeah, I don't know. 
if there is a whole genome, uh, you know, service that does it like that. So I think 23andMe really probably does a good job overall um, with getting that info to you in a user-friendly format, because otherwise it's a string of A, T, Cs, and Gs, which are the four nucleotide bases in your DNA. And then you're just, you know, whatever, you have this extremely long sequence of four letters and you don't know what to do with them anyways. That's so. crazy, man. Yeah. So it's just like four letters and they're just like like a code. It's a codex, right? Or a code thing. Yeah, I, yeah, pretty much. I mean... And you can like just without, read that? Without, I can't. I have no uh, idea. No. <laughs> you're just like reading like, oh hey, shit, turn the page. Oh, no. like, oh, it doesn't look good here. Nope. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, like reading the Matrix. Yeah, no, yeah, it, exactly. It, a very smart computer with a lot of power is really needed to figure that out. Um, they figured out there's very basic things you can look for because right. Three bases um, in a row will signal um, for a certain amino acid to be generated. So we know what those are. So, but you know, it, one, it's way too time consuming and boring that anyone would want to actually read through a long sequence and try to figure out what's going on when you can plug it into a computer, walk away, and it will tell you right. a lot more info, right. a lot more accurately, a lot faster. So, yeah, it's all done with pretty smart computers and a lot of processing power. Man. Yeah. So, essentially, like what 23andMe is doing is testing as many people as possible and taking the information and kind of verifying what they've found, right? Like they mm -hmm. say, okay, here's the SNP that's associated with brown eyes, whatever. And then we tested X amount of people and they all said that they also had brown eyes and we thought it was. So that's, and then they're applying this across all their SNPs and variants and everything. And as they collect more data, it's narrowing down and making these things more accurate Basically, right. right. That they can more accurately predict what they think it should be. Right. So I haven't done 23andMe, right? But when it when it's trying to predict these things, it says like you have a predisposition, right? Or a, a certain percentage chance or something of this, right? Is that how it shows it? Yeah. Yeah. The way it, yeah, the way so it shows is like more likely, uh, less likely <clears throat> type things. And that's that's more for like physical traits, um, but also like like the health and wellness. It's like there's a variant detected for an increased likelihood for type two diabetes, or a variant detected for increased risk for like an MCAD deficiency. Um, so more more into that realm. Yeah. So they just take basically all this data that they get and as more and more people submit and you know answer their questionnaires or more public data is available they can build on their um their predictions i guess of what you're gonna have or what these snips actually mean yeah and i know that like from my ancestry composition data that's actually changed since the last like uh, the last time that we did this so over a year ago, when I had my 23andMe done, it told me, hey, I'm a certain percentage of Italian. And that was 11.7%. And now when I checked it today, it was 15.8%. So whatever data that they've collected said, like their guess is getting better, maybe. Like, how, how does that work oh, yeah. exactly? Like they're, 
they're verifying that more somehow? Yeah, that I'm not too sure on. So when I tried to look up like how they kind of validate these things, it was hard to find some of that. I think it's all in their algorithms, which is probably, you know, protected by IP or whatever. So, um, you know, I that I don't really know. The best I can guess is it's just more data coming in. And they said, oh, actually, this uh, SNP is actually more closely related to uh, being Italian versus before they said it was being whatever French. I don't know. So it must just change because I'm assuming to those kind of generalizations for where like your ancestry is, it's based off a, a grouping of SNPs. It's not just one. So it's probably mm-hmm. a whole bunch that they put together um, that kind of indicates where you might have come from. So, you know, if say it's a group of 50 SNPs, um, you know, if a few of those change, it could change your percentage as to, you know, how confident they are of where that is. Uh, that's my best guess without knowing too much. Mm. Yeah, I, I looked at their frequently asked questions section as well, and it's kind. A lot of it is kind of vague, like how mm. they're um, how they define things, and they're they're also changing a little bit about how they define things as well. Um, I like they had this thing where uh, like they say that you're a broadly assigned category or an unassigned category, and what they were saying about it was that um, pieces of your DNA may resemble uh, those of reference populations from multiple places around the world. For example, if a segment of your DNA matches reference DNA from many different European countries, but not from outside of Europe, then we label your DNA broadly European. And if a segment of your DNA matches a wide range of the ancestry composition populations, or it doesn't match any of them with high confidence, then it's labeled as unassigned. Hmm. which I'm like trying to like figure out exactly how to interpret that. But it seems like they're yeah. just trying to make their best guesses, right? Like based yeah, on exactly. the, the data that they collect. Yeah. And that's uh, like with all the, their data they have, I mean, they obviously do a pretty good job, I think uh, with whatever they have, but uh, I know I've heard just like sitting around the lunch table when we've this topic's been brought up that how these markers that they have are validated are not very, you know, they're kind of just like the collection of data rather than being rigorously validated, I guess, you know, going back to what we do, we need to test, you know, false positive rates and all, all this stuff for these biomarkers that we're trying to develop to be sure we're only detecting the right thing or only including the right patients and and stuff like that. So it's very rigorous. There's a lot of data and testing and stuff that has to go into it. Whereas I think I'm not bashing on 23andMe. I just think that they, they don't do quite as much. And I mean, you're not using this as any medical diagnosis or anything like that. So it's not necessary to do, you know, huge validation on it, but. Yeah. It does seem like it's kind of more of a thing for fun, right. Than like, cause you can't like, like 
if you do get something that says it, that you have a trait that you might be predisposed to some certain type of cancer or something, then yeah, you might be able to act on that and go get tested for it just like preemptively, but it right. doesn't actually mean that you're going to have it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I hope that maybe they say somewhere in the health thing that, you know, if you do test positive for these, this does not, this is not a diagnosis or anything like that. You know, it's, I, I would yeah. say you should t could talk to your doctor first and hopefully there's a, you know, if there is like a pre-approved test already, you know, for that specific thing, but yeah, it's not meant for medical diagnostics or anything like that. Before so, you can view your results, they, they take you through each of the different parts that they measure, um, ancestral data, uh, your, your wellness traits, your health history and all that stuff. And you have to, you have to take this small little, like, uh, you basically have to accept to the consent form, just stating like, yeah, this is not intended to cure anything or, or to diagnose or to show anything. We're not responsible. It's purely for fun. So right. yeah, take it, take all this with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. They have a new cancer part on the 23andMe, the M-U-T-Y-H tutorial. And you have to like agree if you want to like know, like I think it's like there's a list of a few that they don't necessarily tell you um, if you have it or not. You have to agree to it. Where is it? It's right here. Let me click on it. And you basically have to agree if you want to know if you like you can have early onset Alzheimer's or like Parkinson's. And you're like, if you sure you want to know, <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, I want to. <laughs> but now this thing is like teaching you how cell how cancer cells divide and grow. And all this BS. <laughs> but now I just want to find out if I got ass cancer. Oh my god! <laughs> just keeps coming back to that. <laughs> so far, so good. It says zero. Okay, good. I don't have ass cancer, guys. Good, good. There you go. Yet. Oh wait, never mind. I, I never mind. I do have ass cancer. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, um. Yeah. Sorry. You can go. I know also that like, so we talked a little bit about how the ancestry thing was changing for me. I also noticed that they've added new things to their health and wellness traits section because I had all that information from before, obviously, and then I compared it to what it showed today. And there was like a few other things that they added, which were, I don't know, kind of, you know, a lot of those are kind of weird, right? Like one of the new ones is bunions. If you're more yeah. likely, or less likely <laughs> to have bunions. <laughs> like, and another one I thought was really interesting was ice cream preference. I saw that. If, if That's an interesting one. Yeah. If you're more likely to prefer chocolate or vanilla. Mine was wrong, man. I totally am a chocolate freak. And it says I like vanilla more. I'm ah. all about that chocolate, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got chocolate and vanilla yeah, is plain as hell. I, I prefer chocolate over vanilla. Yeah. Yeah. But it's pretty crazy. Like the another one was motion sickness. I had 50-50 chance, which I probably lean higher on the side of motion sickness. Like if I'm a passenger, I'm I'm getting motion sickness, man. I the first time I ever went on a boat, like a real boat was with cuts and all them. And I was like, I don't get all this like mo boat sickness. I don't get it. But then after like fucking an hour on the waves, like oh, I could see where people are getting getting a little sick <laughs> from this shit, and like I got was a little that... nauseous at one point, and then I was like, I got over it. But I was like, fuck. 
Was that when you encountered the Great White? No, that was uh, – I ended up seeing the Great White the next day. But we, when I went out to uh, the Cape with them, we went on a boat too. Went fishing for like just regular fish. I don't really know what kind of fish it was. <laughs> All right, Ham. Yeah. So what, what, what do you got? You want to you wanna go over some of the, your more interesting results with us? Uh, yeah, I can break it down. So here's the, the genome of Ham. Uh, so let's start with ancestry. Yeah, let's see where you're. So, from. Um, one of the more curious things about this was so my mother was adopted. Um, I knew a, kind of a general idea of like what my father's history was, but I was more curious as sort of what the other half of me comes from. Mm. Um, so, eighty percent Northwestern European. Um, 40, 48% French and German, uh, 10% British and Irish. I've got some 5% Spanish, Portuguese, 5% uh, Greek and Balkan, 2% Italian. Uh, yeah. So the majority of me, French and German. Kind of interesting. Was there anything that, that popped out as being like... Well, I knew I, I knew French right away. Yeah, I mean, you just look at me. I, I yeah. Well, you're. Why do you think dad. I have this outrageous accent? <laughs> I'm I'm French. Exactly. Um, but everything else was like I was interested. It was interesting. I didn't know like the whole German part, but I think they're all. When I kind of read deeper into it, it it's all kind of. They're all kind of connected, anyways. Um, yeah. Right. because of how Europe was sort of um, – because you can go back several generations and find where each – how many generations ago um, each of these are, are a part of in your ancestry. So you can go into your ancestry timeline and uh, one – my French and German traits go back one to three generations. My British and Irish go back three to five generations my Greek and Balkan go back four to seven generations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's just be kind of because of what Europe was, basically well, the whole soup pot. Oh yeah, and at the, that time the borders have changed over history too, right? Ex- exactly. That, yeah. That's an, that's another part of this. Is like yeah, there's like certain types of people that like generally inhabited this area and like yeah. You know, and like we think of everything as being pretty sharply defined, especially throughout our lifetimes. Like, how many times have borders changed, really? You know, right? Um, but you know, you go back in the day, and it was like, all right, we've got the Roman Empire, and we own all this shit. And like, <laughs> I, noticed, I did get the ski. Oh, go ahead, James. I noticed that um, since our last podcast about this stuff, I haven't really looked at this since then. Um, but my your ancestry details, mine have changed. Um, so before I had like a bunch of little stuff, but now it's only three. It's either British or Irish, French and German, or Native American, and that's it. So hmm. now I'm 1% Native American, 75% British and Irish, which is the Scottish, mm-hmm. and then just an 8% French and German. I feel like yeah. I'm missing some percentages there. If I add those all together, I'm 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 at like eighty five percent. So there's a fifteen percent mystery, I think. Well, there also is um like they have a trace ancestry section as well as an unassigned. 
You're probably just fifteen percent Neanderthal, James. Is the other I know. Part. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, a big, that's a big question for uh, for uh, Ham right now. Is what's his Nathan, Neanderthal uh, genetic <laughs> variants? What are those fuckers? I got two hundred ninety three. See, look at you guys are all way more Neanderthal than me. I'm like the least now. <laughs> yeah, I would have guessed otherwise, James. I'm 285. Seth, I used to be the at? most, and now I'm the least. I'm at 278, actually. Oh, just a little less than me. Yeah. yeah. Um, moving over to the health and traits. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually like pretty pumped like through my carrier status and my health predisposition mm-hmm. i'm a pretty fucking healthy dude nice um nice. and the only well, things what go ahead what, what, was the, <laughs> what was the thing um i remember from before you guys like you're more your body type one was like you're an <laughs> olympic <laughs> athlete or something like that yeah, or something yeah. that came out yeah. james <laughs> Uh, that was, oh boy, let me, oh yeah, um, my muscle composition, common in elite power athletes. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think we all have that, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, guys, I'm special. <laughs> all right. Um, I had three variants detected in terms of my, uh, my health traits. Okay. Uh, very detected, but not an increased risk for age-related macular degeneration. Yep. All right. I do have an increased likelihood for type 2 diabetes. Ooh. Uh, but I, I think that's more of like certainly from family history. Yep. Um, but obviously, as long as I keep the diet in check, it ain't going to be a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a variant detected for uh, – MCAD deficiency. So that is a rare genetic disorder characterized by episodes of very low blood sugars while fasting or under stress. Hmm. Okay. Uh, a person must have two variants in the ACADM gene in order to have this condition. I only have one variant detected. So. Okay. Um, let's see. What else? Basic oh physical features sixty nine percent to have black hair, no bald spots. I got my chink dimples. Let's see. I don't give a shit about any of this. Um, <laughs> I just want to know which ones are right. Are they all right? They were all right except. Um, let me see. No glaring. Oh, here. How about we do this? Uh, asparagus odor detection likely can smell. Yeah. All right. Uh, ability to match musical pitch. I'm more likely to be able to match musical pitch. All nice. right. So I, I can uh, I can harmonize with you you boys. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I can so, taste bitter. Uh, less likely to have bunions. <laughs> cilantro. Cilantro taste aversion. Fucking slightly higher odds of disliking cilantro. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, you hate that you shit. You hate that shit. That you shit. Hate. That's still one of the weirdest things to me that like some some people don't. I just What does it know. taste like? In which aspect? I don't know. It, it tastes like fresh, fresh, man. Yeah. Nobody yeah. yeah, that's the that's the only thing people say. It just tastes like fresh. What the fuck does that mean? You eat dryer <laughs> sheets? <laughs> <laughs> just tastes like fucking. <laughs> uh. 
doesn't Fuck. well like you think it tastes like soap right do you have that you yeah it yeah. Soapy? Oh, yeah it's so gross it, it it just brings like a natural like a vegetable flavor like a grass what a grass would taste like probably i see but it's yeah more, like if you put it, more aromatic. Put it on an omelet. yeah mm. it gives you like a vegetable like cut grass but not cut grass it's more like i don't know more pleasant than that so you all appreciate cilantro Fuck yeah. I do, yeah. Yeah. And your twenty three media data suggests that you don't have an aversion? No, mine says that I have uh, higher odds of disliking cilantro. Yeah, mine I, does too. But I like it, yeah. Weird. <laughs> it says slightly higher odds of disliking cilantro. I fucking love cilantro. Just, but maybe that's because we like ah. the way soap tastes. Yeah, I, I used to swear a lot. My mom used to put that bar in my mouth and I used to <laughs> eat it. Brings you back to like, your child. Swallow it and I I just swallowed the whole fucking bar. He's like, Jesus, you just shit bubbles. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's a good way to clean the toilet. Clean your colon. Irish spring. Yeah, clean all the cancers <laughs> out. It's weird that they, they have like um, – they they try to map like less likely than average to be afraid of heights or less likely to have a fear of public speaking. Is this right, all like, based? This is all going to be based off of like their surveys somehow or something. It has to be. I mean, there has to be some. You know, if you get these genetic profiles from everyone, it means nothing unless you have a s- certain set of them that you have these kind of questionnaire data to back it up. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know if when they were starting up when they were collecting, you know, a lot at the beginning they did these because it doesn't sound like they do like quite an extensive questionnaire um, now like that, that you guys had to do or anything. So, but there needs to be some data that they have both, you know, the genetic sequence. And then someone says, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid of heights and, or mm-hmm. no, I'm not afraid of heights, you know? So, so it's going to be like, all right, all these people said they're afraid of heights and they all share this one trait. So it's a good chance that that's the trait associated with, yeah, I think. Sim- pr- yeah, I think the algorithm probably says that. You know, mm-hmm. um, what that algorithm actually does, I have no idea. So, but it's weird that that would be like a gene deep related response versus like a just more of a psychological learned behavior type thing. Unless, yeah, I don't whole, know. I mean, that There's... whole argument of like genes genes having memories and you can kind of learn from them based off of like evolution and uh you know yeah i think there's some side to that and then then there's also there's always like the environmental side to everything because not everything's determined by your genes there's the environmental impact so who knows like i mean for for the afraid afraid of heights thing could be something when you were little you fell off a slide and now you don't like heights i don't know and mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with your genes it's just a unfortunate accident you know that happened mm. so you don't know there might be something that's associated in the genes um because definitely you think of like just in, in terms of like survival that certain traits are passed down that you know these people survived because they could adapt this way or whatever and so those are passed down in your genes. So certain things could be, but I see. You know, I, I don't know. Going this deep with some of these, obviously, 
what kind of ice cream you want is not something that's <laughs> passed down in your genes. It's 50, 50. It could, on my it could just be a weird, yeah, it, it's just some weird, uh, I don't know, association, I guess. So it's kind of it like go to your taste bud, some with your taste bud. I don't know. You know, that's the best guess I could have. I don't know. So like, um, some people could have some kind of marker in their genes that predisposes them to getting cancer. Whereas others, it could have been from an environmental factor, like if they were exactly. near radiation or something like that. Yeah. So like one of the big ones that we know genetically is like the BRCA genes in breast cancer. Um, so those can be passed down. It's very likely if you have a family member who has a certain BRCA mutation, then you might have it and it's strongly associated with breast cancer. So we know that that is passed down generation to generation and there's tests for that that you can get tested for. And like you said, Seth just said, um, there's also environmental impacts. Obviously, if you work at a, you know, if you worked with plutonium or something, you know, <laughs> without the right or uranium, whatever, without the right equipment to a superhero. Exactly. Yeah, or, or, <laughs> you know, s smoking obviously yeah. is a, yeah. a big one for with lung cancer, a lot of other cancers too, but um, so yeah, there's always the environmental side to anything. And, um, I mean the environmental impact, just it, a lot of times it helps to, um, speed up the mutation process and some of the genes, um, that otherwise might take forever to mutate because there is a certain amount of error rate when your cells, uh, replicate your DNA, there is, there are some errors that are incorporated. So sometimes just spontaneously an error can cause something to go majorly wrong. Mm -hmm. A lot of times an error does absolutely nothing, but sometimes it can cause, you know, um, to, to cause cancer or to some weird growth or, you know, any number of things that could not be good, but Yikes. Obviously, there are mechanisms in the body too to check for these, and it minimizes it. And um, but obviously, it's not a hundred percent efficient or a hundred percent accurate to do that. So, so I guess just to kind of reiterate that for like people who are listening. Um, so, what you're saying is the human body. I mean, we're basically replicating our cells mitosis like every fucking second of the day all day every day for our whole lives cells are constantly being turned over right and yep. so in order to do that to make new cells basically our dna is becoming replicated mm -hmm. and so as we're replicating that dna and writing that code um there are there are, it's pretty common for mistakes to be made right throughout that right. sequencing and our body has compensatory mechanisms in place to either stop the replication destroy it and then start over again or uh, insert nucleotides into the code to help correct it uh, so the, the the rest of it can be coded and written or um, in the regards of like cancer cells um, a mutation in the code occurs and then it basically this is where the compensatory mechanisms fail and your body continues yeah. to replicate those genes with the error messages right basically yes yeah. okay yeah that's basically it you know it's yeah like you said there's there's when basically your cells do the first um pass through if you will of 
of replicating the DNA, there can be errors. There's like a secondary, um, you know, proofreading that goes through and that can correct a lot of them, but still sometimes it misses some. And that's, you know, when these errors could occur and that can cause different mutations. Sometimes they're good mutations, sometimes they're bad mutations. So what's a good mutation? I mean, it's hard to say like, you're talking like stretch arms, right? Or flying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, just like, uh, again, if you go back to like survival and evolution, there's traits uh, that enhance, you know, certain animals to survive. And at, at one point that mutation occurred and it helped that animal survive. And then it procreated and passed that, you know, mutation down. So in a very long timeline, there's, um, you know, good mutations. Usually in the lifetime of a person, there's not a mutation that will affect them in a right. good way, I guess, <laughs> that, that I that I know of anyways. Maybe there is, but yeah. Interesting. Well, I think we should um, shift gears here and uh, finish up a little bit with the uh, genetic genealogy and kind of, you know, how that helped. Um, put the pieces of the puzzle together of like the case like Bear Brook or, or the uh, Golden State Killer thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just out of, you know, pure coincidence, when you guys did the first one, I was listening to that Bear Brook podcast and um, they started talking about genetic genealogy um, and how it was used there. So I can give a little background there. So first genetic genealogy, they, uh, kind of defined as the process of analyzing data from many genetic samples to find similarities among people to indicate relationships, right? So this is what uh, it, it, like 23andMe can do with the ancestry tree. Like Seth, you said your parents took it and uh, your sister took it. So it can relate those and it knows that you are. It can also tell you like if there's a distant cousin, right? That mm -hmm. um you didn't know about they're, they're your fourth cousin so you've never heard of them or met them or whatever but it can relate you that way yeah basically um, like like you said my like my parents and my sister took it and without me even like saying hey these are my my parents and they'll they'll send me a thing that was like oh these people are most likely your parents and this is most mm -hmm. like your sister and then they've got a new feature that's like a family tree thing and it will make um this essentially like what you would think of as a family tree, a digital version of that on the screen. And then it'll start populating with other people that have done 23andMe and like show you, this is your third cousin or your, you know, fifth cousin twice removed or however all mm -hmm. that shit works. Yeah. So Bear Brook was basically the first case that kind of used this, um, sort of this method to basically solve this, um, cold case. So, Real quick background, um, basically they discovered four bodies um, at two different, well, they found two bodies in 1985 and then two more in 2000. Um, they couldn't ID any of the bodies and they didn't really have any suspect to begin with. Um, but eventually, um, I don't know how much of the story I want to go into. It's very like, complex i guess yeah there, there is, spoilers it's a, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a, about the bodies right away yeah yeah 
Um, but it's, I don't, yeah, I don't it's, know anything about this. I've never heard of this before. Um, I must have not gotten the email that you sent a while back, <laughs> a year ago. Yeah. So this is all news to me. So I'm curious. Can you give like a brief synopsis of? Yeah, I'm trying to. I, um, Basically, yes. they they found like some fucking kids were playing in the woods on their four wheelers, and they found a a barrel. And then yeah. didn't they say something like, "Oh, I think there was like a dead animal in there or something," or or did a hunter find it? I don't remember. Yes, I think the first barrel like kids found it playing, but like the the bodies were wrapped in plastic, so they didn't know. But mm-hmm. they went and told someone because it looked like a dead something, and it was like two two bodies, and then. People. Yeah, and then it was basically a cold case, so they didn't know who the people were. They didn't have suspects. And then 15 years later, they found two more bodies in another barrel. Pretty um, close to where they found the like, first barrel. Yeah, like yeah. basically they missed it. They missed the yeah. other barrel when they went to I think it was like 100 yards there. away, yeah. but it was in like pretty dense forested area. So they are like, it could have been missed is how they said. Yeah. But so they found that... Um, and then, and then it opens up a new story somewhere in California, right? Yeah. So in California, they um, basically there was a, a a young girl. She was like five years old who was abandoned by what they believed was her father. Um, she uh, went into like foster care or, or was adopted or something. And when she got older, this was in 1985 or something. So she was like five years old in 1985. So then when she got older, um, she was looking for some relatives because she had no idea who her family was. And they basically took her DNA um, and then uh, loaded it into one of these databases, right? To look for any known relatives. and they found like a distant match. They found like a fourth cousin and they were able to like slowly recreate this whole tree of who her family was. Um, and through like using online, but also just like regular genealogy, they created this family tree um, and then uh, found out who who uh, her mother was, I believe. And then it matched um, and matched the person in the barrel or no? No. So her mother wasn't. See, it's it's weird how this relates because the man who like abandoned her um, eventually got arrested and convicted of killing his wife, who is different yeah a it's different a different person it's a very so it's, it's weird crazy. it's a, very a lot of cliffhangers and how, shit. Uh, it's very weird how they come together but i'll just say that the bear brook podcast does a good job but this guy um who abandoned her they found out he got arrested so they had his dna they tested it he was not her actual father um, not the father right and so then they took <laughs> they basically were tracing all of this, uh, this guy's movements then to try to help find uh, this now lady's mother. Um, they put his <clears throat> DNA into a database and it connected with um, one of the 
young girls who they found in the barrel. So one of the girls who was murdered was his daughter. Yikes. And I don't think I'm doing a very good job here of <laughs> saying it because now once I try to explain it, it seems a lot more harder, but basically <laughs> you're doing great. Dennis. Sorry. Uh, yeah, basically she, uh, or once they got his DNA and it matched the, f uh, one of the people in the barrel, they were able to connect him to the area at that time to, um, the other people in the barrel and, um, you know, identify him as a suspect. Unfortunately, he like died in prison before they got all of this. So they don't know for sure, but it's a pretty strong, um, pretty strong link there. But it was the first time that they kind of used this genetic genealogy going through family trees. You know, they, so they called a bunch of family members and stuff to, you know, you know, say if there's, ask if there's anyone in your family that hasn't been seen for a while and to fill in these blank family trees and stuff. And it's yeah, pretty so crazy like too, because also during um, this podcast, the genetic genealogy was is all part of it, but uh, in the technology like twenty three me and ancestry dot com, but as a part of like the 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 sleuths who were trying to uncover this like mystery of Bear Brook and all these other things, is um, they're putting through all this like data from newspapers and like. Um, actually like digging into like history and spending hours upon hours. I think at one point some woman says she spent like 10,000 hours of like yeah. digging through all these like newspapers and, and putting people together to build this family tree. Whereas now with this, um, all the data that's been collected, like places like 23andMe, they were able to replicate what she did, like all the dirty work she did in 10,000 man hours in 10 hours on the computer. Crazy. So this, this technology yeah. is just like, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like basically they're saying that there's so much uh, DNA information out there that's been collected that even if you haven't participated in something like 23andMe, they can figure out who you are based off mm -hmm. of people that you're related to because so many people have submitted their data. So they can work backwards with an unknown piece of DNA, like one of the girls that was found in the barrel, and then try and put in the puzzle pieces around her DNA to see who she's related to, and therefore uncovering her identity. Which, um, it's pretty crazy, because as when we did this podcast, um, at, at the time of uh, a year ago, in, in early 2019, the... Um, the identities of the the people in the barrels had not been found yet. And yeah, it, this is all real recent. This is, I think it was July, right? They just finally ID'd the other three. Exactly. And it was That's through, crazy. Yeah, yeah. And this is like something that, like you said, it was a cold case that started in 1985. And, you know, what, um, 15, like 35 years later, they finally put, all the puzzle pieces together using this new technology. Yeah, it's pretty wild that they were able to kind of do the whole thing. And yeah, the, the podcast really goes into it really well. And Seth, you alluded to it um, 
a more, you know, I don't think most people have heard of the Bear Brook case. I didn't until I saw the podcast and mm-hmm. I've lived, you know, half an hour from that place my entire life almost. But the Golden State Killer is much more high profile. I think they think he murdered, you know, close to 100 people or something like that. That's and they sol- solved it using the same, you know, method that the Bear Brook people did. Mm-hmm. So they basically got his DNA from a rape kit and put it into a database, got a distant relative hit and then traced it back. Again, I think they traced it to, you know, the killers, like great, great, great grandparents, then recreated the tree cross checking, like all of the um, members who, you know, might've been in the area at the time or, you know, could have been of interest and basically they narrowed it down to two people and you know then got a dna sample from the guy who was the killer and were able to match it and convict him and i think he was you know they found him when he was like uh 75 or something like that so it was i think years after he had done any you know years after the killings but um, they eventually did and it's the same same kind of method so now, you mean I? You probably don't know the answer to this because um, none of us are forensic scientists or lawyers or anything. But <laughs> um, so DNA is not enough for a conviction, right? For in any sort of case, but in the in this regard, it was enough to help narrow down suspects and really kind of allow the focal point of the investigation to help piece together other evidence and facts in the case to build build this up so for the bear brook stuff i don't know because the their main suspect died in prison before all of this came out so they don't know for sure right he the the guy they're pretty sure did it who's connected to the area around the time of the crime who has connections to all of the people um he died in prison for that california murder um before that did he get Epstein? Was did like Hillary Clinton kill him, or is it? No, he. I think he just died. I don't know how, but he died in prison, natural causes. Maybe I don't know. He was kind of old. Did not look like he was healthy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, but I know. Uh, and but for the Golden State Killer, yeah, they were able to narrow it down to two, and the guy. Um, you know, he had the DNA match and then I'm sure they had other evidence they were able to, um, produce about him or around him for that. Um, he ended up being like I, a I don't cop, know, right? More. Yeah. He was a cop out there at the, at the time in Fucking California. Yeah. He killed a hundred people estimated. Uh, I don't remember the exact number or what they say. Um, so because like he. I know he was like, uh, they think he like raped and um, uh, like burglarized a bunch of people, but it was past statute of limitations for that. So he was only convicted for a certain amount of the murders or so- something like that. Yeah. So as of March 4th, 2020, um, he was offered to plead guilty. He offered to plead guilty if the death penalty was taken off the table. Fuck. What a coward. Yeah. But yeah, dude's um, 74 years old right now. 
Freaking crazy. Yeah. I mean, even if he elected the death penalty, it would be fucking 10, 20 years before he even got it. He'd, he'd die in prison anyways. Right. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. I think they're using it, uh, you know, using this method a lot more across the board. But I will say I did see something, too, that like um, the police can't use like 23andMe database um, like to search it. So if there's like a person actively helping the investigation um, to like give DNA into there, they could use results from that, but they can't like actively search it, I think, to match DNA. But there are other like public databases that they can use that are similar, um, but they need, there's like different restrictions or you need to upload, you need to voluntarily upload your, your data to it or something. So right I there are some like that. yeah there are some legal like uh guidelines there so um but it's one of those things where that i think the law hasn't caught up to the technology quite as much um it's starting to but yeah you know, i feel like yeah. it's only going to be a matter of time before like pretty much everybody's dna is just mapped you know yeah definitely so, so you're saying that the police can't get a warrant to have access to the 23 database. Yeah, but they can on some, investigation. there are other companies or, you know, databases that exist that the police can. Um, and I, and okay. I, and, and they go over that a little bit in the Bear Brook thing too. But I think yeah. like Dennis was saying it, it's, you have to voluntarily upload your information. Like I could take my raw data from my 23andMe results and upload it to this database, I think. Right. So I think the database, it's like called uh, GED Match or something, the one that they use at least in Bear Brook. Mm -hmm. And like that's marketed where so that you could take data from 23andMe and if your friend or your sibling used Ancestry, you know, DNA kit or something, you can upload the two and then compare them. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how those work. Um, like I know that specific one says that once you upload it, like your profile can be used by like the police or something. So I think it's, everything's there. So if you knew information about a person or something, you could go on there and see if they had a genetic profile and get their DNA or some, you know, something like that. I, I don't know the actual, you know, specifics around the legal part of it all. So. But like, like the police can't go on 23andMe and search, you know, Seth Tardif and find out your DNA uh, sequence to link you to that murder that happened last year. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, exactly. Now, Dennis, there is a such thing as a semen database, right? <laughs> that I do not know. <laughs> because yeah, there's just there's nice. semen everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all sorts of different types. <laughs> oh god. It's just James's private collection. <laughs> this is a good one. Good good year. Uh, 2012 right here. Oh Jesus. There's a lot of salt that year, you know what I'm saying? Oh god. Not enough rain. I've got my semen in a bank somewhere. Uh, I've got it stored it. away. Just in case. Oh, yeah. Saving yeah. it for a rainy day. 
Oh yeah. If you, if you want to do like a bio terrorist assault on someone on the bus. <laughs> ah! <laughs> it's pretty terrible. All right, cool. Well, I, I, anybody have any final thoughts or uh, you know? Oh man, do I have any final thoughts? Oh god. James, you always have a good question at the end there. Yeah. Well, I mean, can is there any way that you could maybe not you? Well, if I could, can you just test? You can test meat and to say like, oh, how much human meat is in this meat? How much cow meat is in this meat? What? Like, if I what? put. Are you? Oh, wait a minute. Wait. Are, okay, let me try. Let me try and. Tra- Are you? Let me translate here. Let me translate. Well, ground here. beef is ground. Ground beef is ground beef. You don't know what it is. If it's red, it's red. I've heard a lot of rumors that they put sand in Taco Bell's meat. Hold on. I've heard. Are you trying to test meat that you're eating? Are you trying to test like what your meat is made out of based off of the types of meat that you've eaten? No, the first one. <laughs> okay, okay. So you want to test like Taco Bell meat. So I've eaten a lot sure of that cow. Does that make meat partly cow? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought you were asking at first. Yeah. I was going to say, no, we can't do that. No. Uh, the yeah, meat there's... that you have consumed. <laughs> no, there's, uh, there's definitely ways like if you – I don't know exactly how, but yeah, if you got meat from somewhere that was supposed to be cow and then you thought that it's half chicken or something, there would be a way to do that. Um, I think the USDA has a rule that uh, there can only be like 1% of cow beef can be made out of human. What? I don't even know why that that the statistics is, is in there. That's a little sketchy if you ask me, but... Taco Bell is Taco Bell. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a way you could like test something like that, but it's not a, I don't know. We'll let the um, FDA uh, do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I also have a question. Like say that I put, I spit in a, one of those tubes and then I have like one of my friends also spit in that tube and we mix our spits together and then send it into 23 and me. Are they going to say it's an error or are they just going to process that and be like, oh, yeah, you're fucking 100% Scottish and 100% French. You're 200%. I would hope they would be able to, you know, say that there was some sort of contamination error with that. That's pretty easy to detect. It Um, is? Yeah. Uh, I mean, by normal testing, it is. I don't know the, like, how 23andMe actually tests it, but um, I would think it'd be fairly easy to to Unless test you had twins two twins spit in a, a tube that dna would be well, i mean it depends on what type of twins right yeah uh, i don't know it might be it and that de- that would depend like how uh, yeah i don't know i feel that like i don't know a, i would i would hope joke. no matter what yeah i would the, hope no matter what they would a tube <laughs> <laughs> You can keep working on that. Job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all I got. Okay. Well, <clears throat> Ham, good. I'm good, man. Dude, Dennis, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dennis. When yeah, we're fun. done with uh, our quarantining, we should uh, we should get Dennis back on to do a last call. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah, sounds good to me. I know. Get the beers flowing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little thirsty right now. <laughs> Washing just... down that, that burrito and chips you just had, James. All that salt, you know. 
Yeah, right before we started the podcast, James was he he joined the video chat and was immediately like housing a bag of chips, like crunch just cr- crunching. It was delicious. <laughs> it's the closest thing I have to Mexican food right now. It's bullshit. Yep. All right. I'll have to make your own. I did. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm making this crazy salsa. I got all these dried chilies ready to roll. I gotta hydrate them. I'm gonna make some homemade salsa tonight. All right, sweet. Well, nice. All right, guys. We out. Thanks, guys. get the obsession man like i don't know <laughs> well now that yeah, you guys that... know everything about me ugh, yeah. i feel like there's no mystery anymore there is no mystery you're, you're, you're gonna much, stop liking me pretty much i'm just gonna throw you to the curb you're trash now damn it yeah there's, yeah. there's nothing it was a stay fun tuned ride. to see if, if if justin is still on the podcast <laughs> next time <laughs> All right, guys. I've I've actually got a little bit of QC on this one. Quality control. Um, Alrighty. I imagine people much smarter than us could do much more in-depth QC of this episode in particular because there is a lot of science and things that we discuss. But when I listen back to it, um, there's a few things that stuck out to me, and here they are. So, um, first of all, this has nothing to do with the science, but. In the episode, I did mention that this was our first fully remote podcast, which if you are listening to our episodes in sequential order, you might be like, hey, wasn't last episode your first remote one? Uh, That was because these were recorded a little bit out of order. Um, And that's it for any super fans, if you exist. Uh, Moving on now. Uh, Also in the episode, we were talking about SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms and how many of them have been recorded. And I did a little digging and found that more than 335 million SNPs have been found across humans from multiple populations. A typical genome differs from the reference human genome at four to five million sites. So that's that. And moving on, um, we were wondering how much it costs to sequence the full genome of a human person. And I found a company called Veritas Genetics that will do it for $599, which is pretty crazy considering um, when they 
first started doing this a few years ago, it was around $1,000 or more. And their whole thing is that they're trying to get it down under $200. And at some point they were offering a special for a certain amount of days where you could get the full genome sequence for 199 bucks. Um, but I didn't realize this, the portion of the, um, <clears throat> sequencing that 23andMe does is only is less than 1% of your DNA, which is pretty crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, on, on Veritas's website, they show this like comparison and it's basically, um, if you printed all your DNA, it's 6.4 billion letters and it would fill 4,200 books, assuming those books are roughly 500 pages each. And um, if you printed the information that 23andMe looks at, it would be the equivalent of 180 pages of one book. So that's pretty wild. That's a lot of Game of Thrones books. Compared to a Dr. Seuss nurse. Oh yeah. Time. Seriously. So like Jesus. for, um, for 200 bucks, you get, um, 23 and me, you know, for three times that amount, you can get your whole DNA sequenced. And then obviously as, um, technology and as all this information about the genome, um, gets better over time, you already have your whole genome sequence. So you can look at everything which is pretty wild. Um, the other thing that I discovered is that this company Veritas right now is actually doing COVID-19 testing for healthcare patients. Now this, um, uh, sorry, <clears throat> for healthcare providers. I know this is probably a little out of time because this episode will be coming out a little bit later, but if we're still you know, in the thick of this here, um, you might want to check that out. Um, next up I've got, um, we were talking about the Bear Brook guy, the, the killer guy from Bear Brook. His name was Terry Rasmussen. He was also known as the chameleon killer and was the primary suspect in the Bear Brook murders. He was the primary suspect because he died before all this like came together. So it's not hundred percent proven, but it's pretty sure we didn't know. Yeah, um, definitely <laughs> go listen to that Bear Brook podcast. I'm not a huge true crime guy or anything like that, but they did a great job with that podcast. And I would love to have Jason Moon on if he ever somehow hears this, which I doubt it. But I'd love to have definitely. that guy on. Um, <clears throat> next, um, I will answer the question of how he died. And he died by a combination of lung cancer, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and pneumonia uh i was hoping that was some sort of like, <laughs> like destroy yeah, yeah that was not not the case too bad no blood cancer <laughs> um so with uh, all the genetic genealogy stuff and everything there we talked briefly or met, dennis had mentioned the company ged match and i just wanted to give a little clarification of what GED match is and what they do. So it is an online service to compare autosomal DNA data files from different testing companies. That's like 23andMe and Veritas and whatever. So the website gained significant media coverage in April of 2018 after it was used by law enforcement to identify a suspect in the Golden State Killer case in California. 
other law enforcement agencies started using GED Match for violent crimes, making it the de facto DNA and genealogy database for all of law enforcement. I also saw that they were bought by another company after this, and they're basically like rebranding GED Match as being like a crime, uh, a, a you know DNA database specifically to be used for crime stuff, um, which makes sense. Lastly, um, James had briefly mentioned something about the percentage of beef that's allowed to be human, and I didn't think that was right. <laughs> um, from what I could find uh, regarding the ground beef laws, by law, ground beef may not yep. contain any added water, fillers, or binders. I would imagine... I would imagine that so fillers no human, right? include humans. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I've heard that Taco Bell puts sand in there. Uh, well, yeah, but which uh, is that's a, a different. Well, I'm talking about ground beef that you would purchase as a consumer. Yeah. Uh, okay. So in fast food, we could get some humans. Like <laughs> I, I don't. I don't believe so. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like I'm ten to fifteen sure percent Taco human. Bell's ground beef is pure and good. <laughs> it's true exactly it's spiced perfectly <laughs> but that is all i have on uh the qc here <clears throat> justin okay so to satisfy james's curiosity and exploration of butt cancer <clears throat> i decided to answer the question of um what are some some specific biomarkers for uh anal cancer. So the three specific biomarker types are uh, EGFR or epidermal growth factor receptor. This is a transmembrane protein that is a receptor for members of the epidermal growth factor family. Okay, so mutations within the G EGFR uh, lead to an overexpression in which it's constantly activated so it produces uncontrolled cell division, okay? Uh, so no, no surprise there when it comes to cancer. Um, the second biomarker is the CRAS gene, which provides instructions for making a protein called KRAS. So what this protein does is that it, it relays signals from outside of the cell to the cell's nucleus. And what these signals do is they instruct the cell to proliferate and differentiate or it basically uh, allows it to mature and take on very specialized functions, okay? So CRAS mutations is a predictive, is it's predictive of a very poor response to certain um, therapy treatments for colorectal cancer. Lastly, we have uh, UDP, glucuronosyl, glucuronosyl transferase 1-1. Um, this is an enzyme for a pathway that transforms small lipophilic molecules such as steroids, bilirubin, hormones, and drugs into uh, water-soluble water metabolites where they can be excreted. Mutations in this particular type of gene uh, can cause serious problems for uh, bilirubin metabolism um, and causing a bunch of syndromes and mutations and uh yeah just a bunch of mess so those were the three biomarkers for ass cancer 
that I was able to find. So there you go, James. Nice. Something to pay attention to. And I just want to fill in that real quick of just some signs that you may have butt cancer. Rectal bleeding, rectal itching, um, pain or feeling full in the in the area, in the anal area. We're talking about abnormal discharge from your <laughs> anus or uh, <laughs> narrowing of stool or other changes in bowel movements. Now, this is going to be – if you have one of these factors, it's probably going to be an 89 to 99% chance of having butt cancer. <laughs> That's so, not true. So you're probably – That's you definitely probably just give up now. <laughs> and that's James. all and that's all i have <laughs> james how many of those symptoms do you have at any all, one given all time six and i think i only mentioned five <laughs> i definitely okay. have all of yeah, those you need to get checked out james. all the time too <laughs> well yeah, um, i think so too big thanks again to dennis for helping out with this episode he did a great job yeah, uh, you guys, don't forget to uh, rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for all the subscribers. Don't forget to comment on our on any of our uh, podcast website providers. And follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and tweet us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is TFKPod. Our Instagram is TFKPod. And just check us out, TFK Podcast on Facebook. Thanks, Thanks guys. Sausage candles.